back to 1 Corinthians today. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We were going to get back there last week. God had different plans. But we are back there this week. Hopefully we can dig in for the next couple of weeks and see what God's Word has to tell us. We are going to attempt to get through uh, 14 verses today, although we may not quite make it that far. We'll just, we'll just go, though, till the Lord tells me to stop. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 24. Paul had been talking a lot about marriage uh, up to this point in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, at least in the last few verses. He had been kind of talking about some different uh, aspects of marriage, and he's kind of following along that same train of thought here in these verses uh, that we are going to look at today. Verse 10, I command the married, not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to leave his wife. But I, not the Lord, say to the rest, If any brother has an unbelieving wife and she is willing to live with him, he must not leave her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not leave her husband. For the unbelieving husband is set apart for God by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is set apart for God by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be corrupt. But now they are set apart for God. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. For you, wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Or you, husband, how do you know whether you will save your wife? However, each one must live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I command in all the churches. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision. Was anyone called while uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter and uncircumcision does not matter, but keeping God's commands does. Each person should remain in the life situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? It should not be a concern to you. But if you can become free, by all means take the opportunity. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's freed man. Likewise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Brothers, each person should remain with God in whatever situation he was called. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning. I pray that you be with us as we look at this text. This is some heavy stuff, some serious stuff. God, this is a, a tough text because it kind of hits close to home for all of us when we begin to talk about marriage and, and the, 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 the wonderful thing that marriage is, dear Lord. But... God, I pray that as we look at these texts today, I pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to us. I pray, God, that you would open our hearts, open our eyes. God, help me to, to say things clearly. Help me to make sense. Help me to, to say things that are going to be beneficial for your people today. God, just let the Holy Spirit speak. Let it be a message that's going to encourage us, dear Lord God. 
Help us to understand uh, maybe some of the hard truths of the Bible that, that are hard for us to understand. Help us to, to understand your word and to get something out of it. So God, I pray that you just humble me today, that you hide me behind the cross, and that you do all the speaking so that you would be glorified and your word would be preached accurately and we would understand it and grow in it today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In verse 10, uh, Paul begins to give us a command. He says, I command the married, not I, but the Lord, a wife is not to leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to leave his wife. Now, uh, we see throughout the scriptures that marriage is a pretty serious thing in God's eyes. That's a, a pretty major commitment, and Paul is reiterating that here, saying, look, if you get married, a husband's not to leave his wife, a wife is not to leave her husband. Now, this was kind of a big deal in that culture in that day. We see that Jesus had to deal with that uh, in Matthew chapter 19. You can go back and you can read about that sometime if you want to. But, but really, the problem that arose, and perhaps this was something that Paul was dealing with, uh, the problem was is that in that culture, the people had uh, taken God's words, uh, and they had twisted God's word, and they had come to a point into which they were saying that men were able to divorce or get rid of their wives for any reason whatsoever. Uh, there are many different theories and different old writings that are not in the Bible, but historical that would say that in those days a husband could divorce his wife if she didn't cook him a good meal or if he just wasn't happy with her or she didn't clean the house good enough. For any uh, reason at all, pretty much a husband could say, I'm done with you. And so the people of Jesus' day confronted him about the issue of divorce. Well, he kind of called these, these people out and said, Look, haven't you read? And these people were supposed to know the law. They were supposed to know what God commanded. And he said, Look, haven't you even read the law? They said, Look, Moses, Moses uh, told us that we could uh, give our wives uh, divorce papers. And Jesus said, Look, it hadn't always been that way. That's not God's intention. He said, The reason why Moses allowed you to give divorce papers to your wives was because of the hardness of your heart. It was because in that culture, if a wife was divorced, if a wife was kicked to the curb, boy, that was a bad deal. Now, in our culture today, it's not really a big deal because in our culture today, we don't really have a very high view of marriage. The Bible has an extremely high view of marriage, but in our culture, marriage is not viewed very highly. But in the culture of, of, of God's Word... And in the heart of what God intended, he intends for marriages to stay together. So Jesus kind of straightened out some of those Pharisees who came to him and tried to, to, to understand what his thoughts on divorce were. And Jesus said, look, divorce is not something that God intends. God intends for a man and a woman to be together. When they make that commitment, that is what they are supposed to do. And so God kind of straightened them out on that. Of course, in Matthew chapter 19, uh, we do see the one exception in Scripture for divorce, and that is if there has been adultery committed by one party. But even in that, God still does not command divorce. God does not say if your spouse has cheated on you, you must get divorced. While that is an exception that is allowed, even then I still believe that God desires for us to restore our marriages. Now, I don't, I don't say that lightly like that's an easy thing to do. Perhaps you were sitting here today and you've experienced that or you know someone who've experienced that. And I'm not saying that that's an easy thing to do. Well, you just need to forgive them and get on. I understand that that's a very difficult thing. I understand that that's an exception that Jesus Christ himself gives. But it's not a command. I still believe that God desires for us, if at all possible, to hold marriages together. 
And Paul is telling us that in these verses here. He's saying, look, a man and a woman should leave. When they make that commitment, when they make that, that oath, when they swear to one another on the altar to take each other as husband and wife, that is a big deal. And I think we need to be reminded of that in our culture because marriage is not a big deal in our culture these days. Let's read a little further. Verse 12. But I, not the Lord, say to the rest, if any brother has an unbelieving wife and she is willing to live with him, he must not leave her. Also, if any woman has an unbelieving husband and he is willing to live with her, she must not leave her husband. Now, these verses, I guess, could be a little tricky depending on how you're going to take what Paul is saying here. The first, he said, this is from God. This is of the Lord. This is what God's telling me here. This is God's command. But in this, he says, but I, not the Lord, say the following. That Look, if you're married and one of you is an unbeliever, if one person in the marriage is a Christian and one person is not a Christian, if the unbeliever, the non-Christian, wants to leave, then they are free to leave. Now what Paul is saying here, he's saying, look, that is, that, that is, that is okay if the non-believer wants to leave, but the believer should never be the one to initiate that divorce, that separation. Now you say, well, should we live by that? Because Paul's saying that's just him, and he's not saying this of the Lord, he's saying that's just his opinion. Should we go by Paul's opinion? Well, I believe that if it's Paul's opinion, I personally believe that God put it on his heart. I believe that the Holy Spirit led Paul to write that, and you may disagree, but I believe that uh, if it's in this scripture and Paul said it, I believe that Paul said it for a reason, so I believe that it's good for us to heed Paul's advice here. I think that is good advice, and I think it is biblical advice, and I think we should listen to what Paul's words say here. And so, so he says, if you're unequally yoked, that is, if you're a Christian and your spouse is not, then you as a Christian need to stick in there and you need to try to make the marriage work because you know what God, uh, what, 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 how important marriage is to God. You know that marriage is a sacred thing. Your partner, while they may be an unbeliever, they may not understand uh, the, the seriousness and, the, and the, the excellence of that commitment that was made. So Paul says, look, if you're a believer, you need to stick with them. But if your spouse wants to leave, Paul says to let them leave. Verse 14. For the unbelieving husband is set apart for God by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is set apart for God by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be corrupt, but now they are set apart for God. But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. Now, here we have a little bit of an explanation. Okay, so why should a couple get together? Say a couple gets married, they're both unbelievers, one of them becomes a believer, and all of a sudden their life is transformed by the Lord. And they, they are convicted of different things. They want to live their life in a different way that is pleasing to the Lord, but their spouse is not on board. Their spouse is still an unbeliever. Their spouse is not wanting to live for the Lord, and obviously that could cause some major tensions in a marriage. But God says, look, to the believer, it is good to stay in those situations because for the unbelieving husband is set apart for God by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is set apart for God by the husband. What does that mean to be set apart? Does that mean that they are somehow made Christians because one uh, part of the family is a Christian? Well, I don't believe that that's what Paul's saying. Uh, he goes on to say the same thing about children, that it's better for the children, that the children are set apart for God. 
I've kind of studied these texts for the last couple of weeks and kind of looked over and read lots of commentaries and all that riffraff. But, but, what, but what I believe Paul is saying here is he's saying that any time that there's a Christian in a marriage, that there is one Christian in a family, that that family is going to be better off for there being a presence of God in that family. If there is no presence of God in the family, if there is no father in the family or mother in the family who is a, is a child of God then that family uh, is kind of wandering around in the dark. It's going to be hard for that family to lead children in the way that God desires. But when there is a Christian in a household, when there is a godly man or when there is a godly woman, it has an effect on the spouse. I believe more time than not, maybe it has a positive effect, but I'm sure there are situations where it may not have a positive effect. But I believe what Paul is saying is, is that when there is a godly presence in a household, it is, it is going to be for the good of the whole family. It is definitely going to be for the good of the children. If there is a godly uh, parent in the household, then the children are probably going to get to experience God's Word. They are probably going to get to go to church. They are probably going to get to go to VBS. They are probably going to learn what it means to pray. They are going to learn about the goodness of the Lord. And if there's no Christian presence, if there's no godly presence in a home, then that's not going to be there. And so God, or excuse me, so Paul says in these verses, he says, look, if you're a believer and your spouse is not a believer, then hang in there with them. Maybe you may rub off on them a little bit. Maybe, maybe uh, God is going to work through you to bring your spouse to church. And, and I've heard stories in my life. Sometimes I'll hear people come to me and they'll say, well, it's because of my wife or because of my husband for years. I didn't go to church. But then one day, all of a sudden, I went to church with them. And I've been going for years now. It's amazing how many times you may hear that. Because one person was a believer... They stuck with it. They did just what Paul said, and guess what? Eventually, God was able to move in that family for the good. It was for the good of the spouse. It's for the good of the children. It's extremely important for us to realize how important it is to have a godly family. It's extremely important for us to realize what it means to bring up a children who know about God. And sadly, because of our low view of marriage that we hold in our society because marriages don't stick together because there is no godly presence in a household I believe we see the effects of that in our society and we see children that grow up without a father we see children that grow up without a mother we see children that grow up that are unloved we see children that are never taught what it means to do the right thing we see children that are never taught what it means to love people we see families that are broken, relationships that are broken. And it doesn't just affect one person in the family. It affects everybody. And it affects people for generations and for generations. And if children aren't being taught godly lessons, if they're not being taught God's Word in their home, and they're not having anyone to teach them and, and get them to church, now I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit can't work. I'm not saying that a child may not come across the Bible and God still might not lead them to the Lord. It happens all the time. I, God is good like that. But boy, it's so much better when a family has a godly leader, a father, a godly mother, to bring those children up right. Because if children aren't taught about God, then what are they being taught about? They're being taught about all the junk that we see in our world today. They're being taught about things that are not scriptural, not biblical, and they don't know any different because they don't have any exposure to God. They don't have any exposure to God's Word. And that's why our, our, our mission, if you're out here and you're a parent, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to raise kids. 
As a, as a Christian, that's why our mission, man, we do stuff like Bible school, that's a big deal. Because for some kids, that might be the only time in the year that they get to hear that Jesus loves them. That they get to know that Jesus died on the cross for them. It is a big deal, church, that we minister to children. Even in Jesus' day when the kids come, the disciples said, I'll run them off. They get in the way and Jesus said, uh-uh. Jesus said, let the, let the children come to me. It's a big deal. And so many children in our culture and our world today, boy, they got it rough. Because they don't have anybody in their family to tell them about Jesus. Because mama don't know about Jesus or daddy don't know about Jesus or mama and daddy ain't even together or they got two daddies or they got two mamas and they don't know what to believe or they don't know what to think. And Paul reminds us in these words, marriage is a big deal. As Christians, we need to fight to hold our marriages together. Whether the, the husband and the wife are both Christians, whether one or the other is a Christian and the other one is not, Paul is saying, look, you need to fight for us. You need to hold it together. It's a big deal. This is what God calls us to. When God calls us to marriage, we need to have a high view of marriage. Even in the church sometimes, I feel like that we have as high a view of marriage as we should. How many times do we see people this is a tough thing to preach on, right? This is a tough thing to preach on, marriage and divorce, because, because we, all, we all experience it. Like we all either have experienced it firsthand or we know somebody very close to us that has gone through a rough marriage, maybe that has gotten a divorce. So this is kind of a, this is kind of a tough deal, right? This is a tough thing to preach out because it hits so close to home. But as tough as it may be, God still desires that we hold a high view of marriage. It's a big deal. And so many times we see marriages end over the least little things. Sometimes we see marriages end over serious things. But it's, it's tough. It's tough because the only exception that Jesus Christ allows for divorce is for adultery. So what about all the other bad things that happen in marriage? I'm talking about horrible things that aren't adultery. Well, the Bible doesn't give any exception for those. And that's, that's a hard truth. That's a hard truth. And God holds a high standard of marriage. And some of you are saying, well, that, that's too much. Well, you're not alone. After Jesus preached to the Pharisees about, about, about divorce and he preached about how important marriage is, you know what the disciples said? They said, it's too hard, Lord. If that's the case, nobody should get married. Yeah. Yeah, if you're thinking... Boy, this is, these, these qualifications, the requirement of making an oath in marriage and making a commitment to each other, that's a hard, that's a big deal. If there are no exceptions, dear Lord, if it's supposed to be that way, the disciples said, maybe nobody should get married. We need to get that. We need to get that. You know the worst thing that happened for people that I, that I performed their marriage for, the worst thing that happened was that I got married because I kind of get marriage and I've studied those scriptures and I get it in a whole different way and some, when somebody comes to me and says I want to get married, I say, i got to preach to you a few times first. And I lay it to them because it is a big deal. It should be a big deal. But for so long, marriage has not been a big deal. It's just been something. It either works or it doesn't work. But when we make that commitment to each other as husband and wife, it's a big deal. We read in, in, in Psalm chapter 15 this, uh, this Wednesday night, 
uh, one of the things that that, uh, that that shows who a righteous person of God is, is is one who keeps their word. One who, as some translations will say, uh, say swears to their own hurt. That is, they make a commitment and then something happens and by keeping that commitment it's going to cause them pain or it's going to cause them inconvenience. But the man and the woman of God keeps their word. I was reading through an article about marriage a couple weeks ago by a guy named uh, Steve Gregg. He's a Christian author and Christian radio host. And uh, he, he wrote a little bit about this. He said this. He says, In other words, one who, finding that a promise he has sworn to uphold will cost him dearly and painfully to honor, will nonetheless fulfill his promise. Absorbing the resultant inconvenience and pain for the sake of preserving his or her integrity. Most brides and grooms at the altar swear to their own hurt, to some degree, because certain unattractive habits that are unknown to them at the time of their ma uh, making the vow are generally discovered in their spouses later. Considering the imperfection of human nature, this scenario should be regarded as a predictable and in the terms of imperfection of fallen world, normal. Nothing of value comes cheaply in a godly marriage, the most valuable of earthly treasures, generally requires hard work and sacrifice to maintain. Those who cannot make such sacrifices should not indulge in the deception of making false vows. Those who have made such vows must be prepared to keep them at any cost. Those who do not keep their vows make victims of their spouses, their children, and all other concerned parties. And how true that is. Like, like, what he's saying here is that marriage is a big deal. And it's not always going to be easy. There may be times where you'll disagree. There may be those bad habits or things that your spouse does that you don't like that kind of that just rub you the wrong way. But those things are pretty minuscule when you look at the, at the awesomeness that marriage is. There is so much good that comes along with the gift that is marriage that outweighs those little things. And he's saying here, look, when you make that commitment, you swear to your own hurt. When you make that commitment and you say for better or worse, you better mean for better or worse. You better be ready to stick by that. And that's a pretty big deal in God's eyes. And as Christians, we need to hold a high view of marriage. As Paul says at the beginning of this passage, we need to make it work. We need to stick together. We don't need to leave each other. As Christians, if we're in a marriage and we're unequally, unequally yoked, then we need to do our part to live for the Lord and try to be there to be a good influence on our spouse, to be a, a good leader for our children so that they know right from wrong, so that they know love. Verse 15, he says, But if the unbeliever leaves, let him leave. A brother or sister is not bound in such cases. God has called you to live in peace. Now, this is kind of a tough verse. I say that the only exception verse was Jesus said uh, in the case of adultery. But depending on how you would translate this verse, some would translate this verse to say, but look, Paul is giving another out here. He's giving another, another, another way to get out. He says, look, if you're in a marriage that's unequally yoked and the unbeliever gets out, some would interpret this to say that you uh, are free to go and marry again. Now, maybe that's what Paul's saying, but I don't see that that's what Paul's saying, but I could be wrong. He does say that you are free to go live at peace. Now, does Paul mean that 
living at peace as you are free to go marry someone else? Does he mean that after you're separated, you don't have to have the burden to feel that you've done something wrong because the unbeliever is left? And that you can now just live a peaceful life, but you're not allowed to get married again? That's a tough verse. That's a tough verse. So I don't know exactly what Paul is meaning there, but I believe all Paul is saying there is that, look, if you're unequally yoked and the unbeliever leaves, you are free to live at peace, but Paul doesn't say that you are free to remarry, although it's possible that could have been what he meant. Verse 16, For you, wife, how do you know whether you will save your husband? Or husband, how do you know whether you will save your wife? Well, you don't know. If you're a believer and you're unequally yoked with an unbeliever, you, you don't know if you're going to be able to save that person, but you do the best you can. And if they choose to leave, then you let them go. This is a kind of a difficult passage. This is some heavy stuff, right? You know, we talk about divorce, and I'm not condemning anyone in here if you've ever been divorced, because here's the good deal. It's because that's not an unforgivable sin. But what we're trying to get the point across today when we look at God's Word, talking about these difficult things, is that, look, God demands a high view of marriage. And so if you're married in here today, then we need to stick to that. If you're in this room today and you're married, then guess what? You have made that commitment. You have made that oath. You have, you have uh, sworn, maybe to your own hurt. Maybe it hadn't worked out the way you wanted to. Maybe there are some difficulties. But look, here's the deal. When you make that commitment... We need to stand by that. I think about the Abrahamic covenant. When God made the covenant with Abraham, it was an unconditional covenant. God was going to remain faithful in that even if sometimes his children did not. When God came to Abraham and said, Look, I'm going to bless you. Through you, I'm going to bless uh, many nations. God, he made that oath. He made that covenant. He made that commitment. What he did was, that's really cool, kind of gnarly, kind of weird for our culture. But what happened was, in Genesis chapter 15, one of the things that they would do in that time, would they would split some animals in half, and the two parties making a commitment with each other would walk through those dead carcasses of animals. But when God made the covenant to Abraham, God split the animals in half, and Abraham fell into a deep sleep. And there was a, a smoking pot and a torch that came through and went through the animals. God himself swore by himself, as Hebrews chapter 6 tells us. Hebrews chapter 6, if you want to turn there, you can. Let's just read it so we can get what's going on. If you want to go back and read that in Genesis 15, please do us some good stuff. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater to swear by, he swore by himself. That is, he didn't make Abraham walk in between the animals. He didn't hold Abraham to anything. God made the promise and said, This is the promise. I'm making it to you, and I'm swearing by myself because there's no one greater that I can swear by. He says in verse 14, I will indeed bless you and will greatly multiply you. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham obtained the promise. For men swear by something greater than themselves, and for them a confirming oath ends every dispute. Because God wanted to show his unchangeable purpose even more clearly to the heirs of the promise, he guaranteed it with an oath. So that through two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we have fled for refuge, excuse me, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. You see, the, the promise that God made to Abraham 
It rested on God. And here's the good thing. God is faithful when we are not. And we can take a lot of hope. And we can take a lot of encouragement from God's Word. But you know, God demands a, a high view of marriage. But you know what the good part about that is? Is that when we look at Scripture and we look at marriage and we see that Jesus Christ and His relationship with Christians is the, is the, is the illustration, is the example of marriage in, in, its, in its best in perfection, boy, that makes me feel good. God says, look, we need to work hard at trying to keep our relationships together. And God tells us that. How hard is God working with us to try to keep our relationships together? How many times has, since we have become a Christian in our relationship with God, how many times have we done wrong? How many times have we made it difficult in that marriage to God? Talk about swearing to your own hurt. Jesus Christ gave His life on a cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins. Whoa. Talk about wanting to enter a relationship. Talking about wanting to, to, to be in a relationship with someone so badly. To have eternity with someone so badly. And still knowing that they are sinners. And still coming down and dying on a cross. So that we can be forgiven. And we can be the bride of Christ. Talk about pretty intense. That's pretty intense. God shows us fully what He requires. Through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gave everything He had for our relationship, for our marriage as brothers and sisters in Christ to be His bride, for that to stick together. Jesus paid it all. Jesus took all the hurt. Jesus took all the pain. He knew what we were going to do. He knew that we were going to sin. And He still did it. That's marriage right there. That's what commitment is. That's what a husband and a wife is. That's what God calls us to. Maybe you're out here today and you're saying, boy, that's tough. I don't know if I want to get into that. That sounds like a lot. That's a big commitment. Yeah, it is. That's why Paul says, look, I wish that everybody would be like me. Everybody could be single. But Paul said, look, I know that some of you, your gift is to live in marriage. One's not right. One's not wrong. They're both a gift from God, the gift of singleness and the gift of marriage. But marriage is a big deal. And we should hold Marriage in the highest of views is what God calls us to. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you and we thank you for these words. And it's some hard stuff, some hard truths in here, probably some questions that are, that are bouncing around in our heads, dear Lord God. And God, I pray that there's not a feeling of condemnation today, dear Lord. This message is not to bring condemnation to those who may have had a, a failed marriage who may have had a divorce, dear Lord God. That's not the intent of your word here, God. We want to be reminded that you are a forgiving God. You are a loving God. And look, even though we may have sinned in that way in the past, God, that there is forgiveness. But dear Lord, we're not. this is not a, a, to condemn people today, God. This is just to help us realize, look, marriage is a big deal. You give us that. You give us that privilege. You give us that blessing. And it's one of the greatest gifts that we have on this earth, dear Lord. And we as Christians, we as a church, we as a society, we need to realize that. We need to realize the commitments we're making. God, we need to realize that when we make those commitments, we stand by them. That every day is not going to be easy. That there may be some days that are very, very, very hard, dear Lord God. But God, give us the strength as Christians to stick by our commitments. To hold firm to that oath. 
God, to remember when we said the words, for better or worse, that we, that we get that. That we don't forget that, dear Lord. And that we work hard to keep it together. God, maybe there are some in here that are unequally yoked, God. Maybe there are some Christians in here and, and their spouse is not, is not yours. God, I pray that you would help them to have the right words, to live the right life, to rub off on them, dear Lord. That they would be set apart for you and that they would come to you, Lord Jesus. God, we know that just being married to a Christian doesn't make us a Christian, but dear Lord God, I pray that those who have spouses that are not yours, that they would rub off on them and that your love would pour out through them, dear Lord God. So I pray that we live by these words, God, today. We take them to heart, that we take the good with the bad, the happy with the sad, the tough with the easy. And dear Lord, that we know that your word is good for us and that we grow in your word and that we live by your word. God, I pray that maybe there are some in this room, maybe they got some marriages that are struggling. I hope everybody's marriage is doing good, dear Lord, but maybe they're not. God, I don't know what goes on behind closed doors. I pray that if there's some tension between spouses, maybe there's some, some bitterness or anger or fighting or feuding or, or just meanness that's going on, dear Lord, that you'd restore those marriages, that you'd make them good. God, maybe they've just been rocky for a little while. Maybe they've been rocky for years. God, if there are some out there that are in, in rough shape, I pray that you patch them up. God, I pray that you keep every couple in here. Keep them on track, dear Lord. Help them to work through their differences. Help them not to fuss and feud and argue, but God, help them to remember, look, you called us to this marriage. It's a blessing. It's a good thing. So let us not, let us not turn into a bad thing with fussing and feuding and fighting. God, I pray for any parents who are here that have children, God, that they'd grow up in a good, godly family. Dear Lord, that, that a godly parent would rub off and make godly children, children that would seek you, children that would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, people, uh, children that would, that would live out that truth, God. So I pray that as we prepare to sing, that if you've touched anybody's heart, dear Lord, that you would just let them respond to you today. Maybe they never have got it till today. Maybe they never knew that commitment that Jesus made. Maybe they never knew how big of a deal it was that Jesus gave up everything to come here, to die, to be mocked, to be beaten, and to be killed for their sins, dear Lord, to have a relationship with them. God, maybe they didn't know that till today. God, help them know it today. Help them to know that Jesus paid it all so that they can come to him and they can be his bride and he can be their groom and he can take care of them, dear Lord. He can wash away their sins. He can take away their burdens. There's some that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus today, God. I pray that you would help them to have that relationship. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.